0: Alex Moset, and welcome to Winner Take All, where we talk about the constant battle between large tech monopolies and traditional incumbents. So before we get into these marketplace rankings, which there are uh, a couple, uh, both Andreessen's marketplace ranking looking at B2C marketplaces, and then Applico, yours truly, marketplace ranking looking at B2B marketplaces, we had some really good news finally from the Supreme Court Issuing an opinion written by uh, Justice Thomas, talking about the mechanism to protect producers. Again, what we talk about when platforms hit monopolies scale, who do they take advantage of first? It's not the consumers, it's the producers. And he basically wrote an opinion laying out the framework for how you could successfully challenge that platform power. We've talked about Section 230 and the immunity that it gives. To the safe harbor, it gives these platforms, and basically, the key thing is it comes down to these two words: Uh, myself, Nick, my co-author on the book. We've been saying this for I don't know how many years. Kirk, we can play it back how many times on this show we have talked about these two exact words called common carrier, and we've drawn the parallel between how you treated AT and T to provide a a basic fundamental service uh you know decades ago that was telephones right you could not refuse service uh to the telephone lines right because these were essentially quasi-government approved monopolies and because of that because you know um, they AT and T was allowed to be the only, say, telephone provider because of economies of scale and all the infrastructure to lay the lines, et cetera. Um, that the government was giving kind of like a quasi monopoly approval in exchange for for certain um, oversight, right, around regulating the rates that they would charge consumers and um, access, right, that anyone could get access; they couldn't refuse access to use this service that was supposed to be available by everyone. Um, and the, that's a similar line in the sand that that uh, Clarence Thomas has drawn here in his opinion. So this is some of the verbiage here. I write separately to note that this petition highlights the principal legal difficulty that surrounds digital platforms, Thomas wrote, namely that applying old doctrines to new digital platforms is rarely straightforward. Oh, you know, I don't usually get this jacked up reading legal opinions, but it's what I was just saying maybe two episodes ago about the issue or the the risk of Lena Khan, where she doesn't think that prior antitrust precedent can successfully apply to tech monopolies, right? She wants to um, get like Congress uh, to to provide new authority to the FTC. And this is what I've been saying is it doesn't need you don't need new authority. The precedent, for the past 50 whatever years it is, as it relates to antitrust, applies just fine to regulate tech monopolies. And that's what he's saying here. Old doctrines can apply to new digital platforms. So Thomas went on to outline for uh, providing protections that enable corporate tech monopolies to engage in widespread censorship frequently in one direction. It seems rather odd to say that something is a government forum when a private company has unrestricted authority to do away with it. He talked about Twitter and and banning uh, President Trump. Today's digital platforms provide avenues for historically unprecedented amounts of speech, including speech by government actors. Also unprecedented, however, is the concentrated control of so much speech in the hands of a few private parties. We will soon have no choice but to address how our legal doctrines apply to highly concentrated privately owned information infrastructure, such as digital platforms. So Twitter is not a monopoly. I actually don't think that common carrier applies to Twitter. Twitter is a small company. You know, Twitter is definitely the most socialist, communist uh, thought police out of, um, out of all of them. Um, but it's a 50 billion market cap company and that's, you know, heavily inflated. It should be a lot lower, but, um, you know what this company used to be was you know really a mid 30s billion uh, market cap company nothing to write home about compared to the true power of the tech monopolies that are really Facebook and YouTube from a content platform and kind of free speech standpoint but Amazon's in the mix too with Twitch and and other properties that they have so thomas noted that google serves as the gatekeeper between users and speech with over 90% of the internet searches it can suppress content by de-indexing or downlisting a search result or by steering users away from certain content by manually altering autocomplete results. Thomas wrote, Amazon, meanwhile, is the distributor of a majority of ebooks. That's true. I hadn't even uh, you know connected those dots. Cataclysmic consequences on authors by among other things blocking a listing. It changes nothing that these platforms are not sole means of distributing speech or information, but in assessing whether a company exercises substantial market power. So they don't need to control at all. But do they exercise substantial market power? Clearly. What matters is whether the alternatives are comparable. For many of today's digital platforms, nothing is. This guy gets it. And this article, it's Ars Techno article. Thomas wrote that digital platforms could be regulated as common carriers. In many ways, digital platforms that hold themselves out to the public resemble traditional common carriers. (sighs) Good morning. Though digital instead of physical, they are at bottom communication networks and they carry information from one user to another. Traditional telephone company laid physical wires to create a network connecting people. Digital platforms lay information infrastructure that can be controlled in much the same way. I want to see a good little graphic. This graphic is in the book, Modern Monopolies. This is when we talk about Metcalfe's law and how every new user kind of adds to the network. And and when we talk about network effects and a lot of this is kind of predicated on Metcalfe's law. Look at what's in the chart. Look what's in the image. Telephones. It's the original example of connecting more nodes. Think about consumer producer, right? Producer is making the phone call. Consumer is receiving the phone call. Then you have prosumers because then you talk back and forth with one another the communication platform. And he goes on, the similarity between online platforms and common carriers is even clearer for digital platforms that have dominant market share, such as Facebook, Google, and Amazon. He's not mentioning Twitter. Twitter is not a monopoly. They're just, you know, I want to get a t-shirt that says, Twitter is for commies. Their level of content censorship. I mean, I can't even start. I haven't used Twitter in ages. I personally don't use it. Unfortunately, I think our company still has a Twitter. I don't think we really use it. But um, I mean, what Twitter has done in terms of abusing uh, creators' you know, content rights and ability to speak their mind um, is, is frankly just a, a disservice to the platform business model. Facebook suite of apps is valuable largely because 3, p- 3 billion people use it. Google search at 90% of the market share is valuable relative to other search engines because more people use it, creating data that Google's algorithms use to refine and improve search results. These network effects entrench these companies. Oh, maybe he read the book. Do you think he read the book? Thomas wrote that although both companies are public, one person controls Facebook, Zuckerberg, and just two control Google. Larry Page, and Sergey Brin. Much like with a communications utility, this concentration gives some digital platforms enormous control over speech. Google can suppress content by de-indexing or downlisting a search result or by steering users away from certain content by manually altering autocomplete results. This is what we talk about. Platforms at monopoly scale take advantage of producers. These are all producers. Websites. We've talked about Expedia, owned by IAC. We've talked about hotel sites, travel sites, uh, lyrics.com, right? Where where Google is not only steering search results away from those sites for monetary reasons, right? Um, Charging them more in ads, um, in some cases, like lyrics, ripping their content directly and then just putting it on their own pages, on Google's pages. This, he's actually coming at it more from a free speech standpoint, not just from a taking advantage of producers standpoint. The similarities between some digital platforms and common carriers or places of public accommodation may give legislators strong arguments for similarly regulating digital platforms. That is especially true because the space constraints on digital platforms are practically non-existent, unlike on cable companies. So a regulation restricting a digital platform's right to exclude might not appreciably impede the platform from speaking. Thomas also wrote that his common carrier analysis does not mean that the First Amendment is irrelevant until a legislature imposes. He's basically saying, well, you know, legislature, Congress could look at imposing common carrier or public accommodation restrictions, but the First Amendment also applies irrespective of whether Congress acts. Only that the principal means for regulating digital platforms is through those methods, right? So he's saying, look, Congress could act or the Supreme Court could act if the right lawsuit uh, was brought before us. Oh, this is exciting. Now, of course, you've got, um, you know, the traditional, just, you know, can't get their head out of, um, you know, a little bubble. Here we go. Information. So they're talking about this as bad news right? The information saying, then there's the bad news. In a separate case today, Clarence Thomas suggesting that digital platforms should be treated as common carriers. They're saying this is bad news. That's a regulatory classification most typically applied to phone companies. (laughs) Oh my God. These people think they're smart. He brought this up while discussing the control that a few private parties exercise over free speech on today's digital platforms. Common carriers under a requirement to serve all comers. Yes. In other words, they couldn't block particular people from their platforms as Twitter or Facebook have done with Donald Trump and others. By the way, it's completely inappropriate that they've blocked the former president of the United States. And it goes against the very ethos of platforms. There is no doubt barring people from social networks is a problematic move from a free speech point of view. Oh, I didn't read this thing, but as, as Bernie Sanders recently acknowledged, Bernie Sanders understands commies. I guess he can see what's going on. I didn't, I didn't read it, so I don't know exactly what he was saying. But restricting the ability of the platforms from governing their own services is surely even more problematic. Oh, oh, really? Do tell. A common carrier designation could open the door. This one, you got to make sure your head swiveled on, right? I still haven't made sense of this one. A common carrier designation could open the door to regulation, okay? That would be far more more far-reaching than one of content moderation. Okay. Potentially affecting how the services make money or at least how much money they can make. Let's read it one more time because I still don't get it. A common carrier designation could open the door to regulation that would be more far-reaching than one of content moderation. So all these tech monopolies, they want to do content moderation. I've spoken about this a myriad of times where we talk about All these tech monopolies are investing billions of dollars. Zuckerberg's even come out and suggested that if you are a content platform startup competitor and you don't do content moderation, maybe you shouldn't get Section 230 protection. They see their investment. They see it as an investment content moderation, right? They see it as a differentiator because Telegram and all the other social networks and content platform startups can't invest. Uh, even, but certainly not billions of dollars, let alone hundreds of millions of dollars, even tens of millions of dollars in content moderation, right? It's actually a differentiator for the tech monopolies. I don't know. These people, they're just confused, these kind of tech journalists. Um, potentially affecting how the services make money or at least how much money they can make. Isn't that a good thing? These are tech monopolies. They're making so much money by squeezing producers. What, what Thomas is saying is here's a way to protect producers and ensure that people can have access to free speech, which is being able to voice your opinion on social media. We've talked so many times, there's so many communities, whether it's on YouTube, uh, websites, you know, being indexed by Google, people speaking out on Facebook, whatever, um, that are being silenced or being shadow banned. The crypto community is one that we've covered now uh, multiple times. Crypto community, it's nothing political, but there have been so many, you know, crypto investors, crypto voices, crypto influencers that have been just wholesale banned off of YouTube or other social media platforms. I mean, it's just not okay. That is not how this business is supposed to work. Um, And anyone that tells you otherwise is either A, a fool, or B, not telling you the truth. These are smart people. It's actually probably more the latter. They understand what they're doing. They are using content moderation to their own benefit. And everyone has their own reasons to do it. It could be competitive, right? To stamp down uh, other startup competitors that can't pay all the money on content moderation. It could be just because you want to shape the narrative and you want to try to influence what people think and what they talk about and what they don't talk about, um, which is also not the founding principle of this country. Freedom of speech, freedom of information, a core principle of platforms, the core principle of America. And what these tech monopolies have done is gone against the very grain of what America is all about and our value system. And it is pathetic and it needs to change. I don't want to get my hopes up that anything government. Will be able to do anything properly. So I will preface this to say that government is useless and don't expect any action out of government. We need to take things into our own hands. Um, but I do really love what Clarence Thomas is talking about. So um, on to the next bit, which is top 100 marketplace rankings. Andreessen, this is the second year in the row they've done their top 100 marketplace ranking. They are looking at you know, primarily these are going to be B two C marketplaces because those just have the most GMV; they're the biggest. They did this for the first time last year. This is now uh, the the second year that they're doing it. Instacart's the top. Valve, uh, that's a a platform to get video games. Acasa for travel and Sockx. We've talked about Goat. Uh, Rover for pets. Thread up just went public thread up is now you know 1.7 billion dollar company they just ipo'd competitor to poshmark uh, we've covered poshmark and how you know they were grossly overvalued at ipo look at this like they reached over $100 a share we called it now they're back down to $42 a share much more appropriate for them thread up is roughly half the size this is 3.2 billion market cap poshmark Right up at one point seven. You know, you're seeing a couple dominant of these kind of like second hand marketplaces uh, in both the U S. and in Europe. Europe has um, a couple of their own like Vinted and Depop. Yeah, you got Turo on here. You got Outdoors. You got RV Share. You got Seat Geek. You got um, Via Gogo. I haven't used them. Outschool for education. That's up big fifty nine points. You know, because of COVID. Masterclass is interesting. I don't know if I'd really call that a marketplace. Like. Yeah, their content comes from third parties, but it's heavily curated. Not anyone can just go create content on Masterclass. So I don't know if I would really classify Masterclass as a true marketplace. It's really just more like bespoke, kind of curated influencers doing courses and content, right? This is the other thing. They got FAIR on here. And and FAIR I'm going to get to when we get to B2B marketplaces. So this is where they they, you know, this ranking... The ranking the largest consumer-facing marketplace startups. But FAIR is B2B. And they've got another one on here, Tundra. It's also B2B. Um, you are a retailer to buy on FAIR. Um, similarly on Tundra. So, um, you know, there's a couple kind of uh, interesting ones. MealPal, I'm actually only surprised MealPal went down 29 points because of... Uh, of COVID. You know, meal pal was like all people at the office picking up lunch from local restaurants. Obviously, poof. Oh, this is cool. Harvest Host. That's a buddy of mine's company. Really cool company to um, let you take your RV. You know, these kind of out the, the outdoor marketplaces are way up because of COVID also. But you can take your RV and then go camp at like a winery or these other kind of like you know uh, farms other kind of like craft um, places where you can camp out at um, as opposed to like an rv camp cool story about this is he bought the company um from some you know uh from a couple that had been building it and then he basically just supercharged the thing and now it's in the top 100 marketplace ranking so good for him you got vinted on here that i was talking about secondhand uh in europe this is I thought the most interesting thing Instacart accounts for over 70% of the of the GMV on their ranking. Wow. The problem with Instacart is they don't really have a good way to monetize. So they've got huge GMV but they don't really have a way to make good money from it because how much you know, they don't they don't hold any inventory. I think that's actually one of Instacart's biggest problems. They're just passing it through from the retailer to the consumer. I mean, they have huge Penetration uh, in terms of kind of disintermediating grocery stores from owning that consumer relationship, but their business model is challenged in the sense of how do they actually make good money from this? I mean, I'm sure eventually they'll figure it out. Maybe it comes with them moving horizontally into other categories beyond groceries. Right? We've seen them move into convenience stores and liquor delivery, prescriptions, and uh, you know other categories, but. Um, Maybe there's a way there that they can get in. But the interesting kind of twist on Instacart's model, you're actually seeing this in Europe, are uh, this company called uh, Picnic is the biggest one. This is their site. You know, it's in Europe. But the cool thing about this company, I think they've raised maybe $300 million now, is that they 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 get their inventory from distributors from like wholesalers right so you order from picnic same kind of experience as instacart maybe not as immediate they are starting to do some same day but it's not as immediate as instacart like hey within two hours because they're not getting it from a grocery store or retailer they're going up a step in the supply chain they're going to the wholesalers which gives picnic a lot more margin right instacart where do, where do you get the margin? They're putting themselves between the retailer and the consumer. Great. But where Picnic is between consumer, skipping a step from the retailer, going to the wholesaler. More margin in there to work with. So you're actually seeing this model more in Europe than you are here in the US. Instacart you know, has now just... I don't know. Uh, I mean... If they'd be able to even make a move like that, I think probably more real, realistic for Instacart to try and hold their own inventory than like cut their retailers out at this point. But you never know. You know, the alternative to Instacart is a company called GoPuff. And GoPuff has, has raised bonkers money $2.4 billion. Instacart competitor, I don't see him in the ranking. I don't see GoPuff at all. Weird. Uh, okay, well, I can tell you this much: our ranking of B two B marketplaces is way more thorough than this thing. Um, so let's go to that. Again, if we're talking about the battle between um, tech monopolies and incumbents, the thing in between is this report, and that is the top fifty B two B marketplace ranking by Aplico. Um, Meet the authors of this great book, Modern Monopolies. Oh, there it is. And yeah, we got a 30-page report here. Beautiful executive summary. Uh, Amazon Business is doing $25 billion in annual GMV six years after its launch. They are on pace to do, we believe, about $75 billion by the end of 2023. We rank the top 50 B two B product marketplaces operating in the United States. So you got to be selling products, not services. That GMV, that scale needs to be in the United States. You got to be able to show that you've got some mixture of scale, monetization. You know, you're ahead of the competition. Um, you know, how big is the market? How are you capitalized? Do you have good, you know, uh, um, fundraising capability? Some of these are profitable, by the way. These are all the types of things that we looked at. Um let me jump down to the you know to the ranking itself. You can see so here's our top 10. Fair, indigo, jewel, new order, farmers business network, Vetcove, Leaflink, Grub Market, Parts Trader, and 750. Fair was on Andreessen's top hundred, but it's a B2B marketplace. Indigo um is doing and FBN are both doing. Billions of dollars in GMV. They're doing a mixture of grain trading. That's their marketplace is the grain trading. and But then they're also selling what you call inputs. So those things like fertilizer and, and, and seeds and different like chemicals and things that go into um, growing the crops. That's linear. So these are actually hybrid businesses, right? They are hybrid in the sense that they have linear kind of reseller type revenue on the inputs. And then they have marketplace, GMV platform revenue from the grain trading. So there's inputs and outputs. The outputs are, are, hey, I just made a crop, grain, and now I'm going to sell that through the marketplace. So that's where their marketplace dynamic comes from. FAIR is connecting retailers with a bunch of different uh, manufacturers and suppliers. It could be Clothing, furniture, appliances, home goods, like a whole slew of things. Just think about like a boutique retail shop versus Macy's, right? So Macy's, when they buy from suppliers, they get the ability to return products that don't sell and they have, you know, certain preferential treatment because they buy so much stuff. Fair helps to give that similar leverage to retailers because Fair has a 60-day, no hassle, return anything that you bought to the supplier no questions asked policy. But you can't get that if you're just a regular retailer buying directly from a supplier. You don't have that leverage, that that purchasing power. FAIR gives that to the retailers and the suppliers agree to those terms when they participate in the marketplace. There's also a net 60-day payment term, right? So you basically get the products for 60 days free and then you get to return whatever isn't selling. That's a big challenge for retailers, right? It's like, well, what happens if I buy all this inventory, but it doesn't sell? So you basically have a two-month window to kind of see how the stuff is selling, and then you get to return what doesn't, what doesn't sell through. Jure is more focused on fashion, so is New Order, so clothing and textiles. Vetcove is Vet Supplies. This company's on fire, doing hundreds of millions of dollars in GMV. They've raised like a few million dollars. We believe they're profitable. This company's crushing it um, and just taking the vet supply distribution industry by storm. LeafLink, um, crushing the B2B distribution of cannabis and weed. Grub Market and food <clears throat> hybrid. Um, they're selling some stuff themselves as a retailer, then have a marketplace model. This is connecting you know, suppliers and distributors with um, you know food service operators and restaurants. Raised $90 million in 2020. Listen to uh, Mike Shu, the CEO. I want to thank all of our supporters. Series D round was many times oversubscribed, bragging, as we originally intended to raise no more than $30 million. Uh, We have made quite some efforts to keep this round under $100 million. It's very difficult for them to keep this under $100 million, okay? He was really working to only take $90 million because the company is so amazing. Such oversubscription continues to happen in the current pre-IPO round. They're going to go public soon. Delivering ultra high growth and profitability remain that priority in all of our geographies. Our objective is to grow our ARR, annual recurring revenue, by $200 million in the first quarter of 2021 and expand to most of the regions of the country to reach $1 billion of ARR within the next 12 months. So they want to 5x revenue, possibly more, depending upon what their ARR actually is today, um, with by Q1 of 2022. Moreover, we will uh, maintain profitability. And above all, our ultimate success criterion of my entrepreneurial pursuit is whether I can scale up Grub Market to eventually achieve $100 billion of annual sales. That's GMV, not revenue. They're managing hundreds of millions of dollars of food wholesale activities. And so they've got a hybrid model where that revenue number is a mixture of them selling their own food products. And then uh, of the marketplace model, they've got this wholesale where they're giving this to the wholesalers doing hundreds of millions of dollars in GMV and you know, um, also being doing a sizable amount of business as a reseller uh, linear. Back to this parts trader is in auto. They're doing over a billion dollars in GMV. 750 is in liquor. And then we've got the other ones here, 11 to 25, 26 to 50. So um, here we list out all the capital raised. So you can see what industry they're in, capital raised. Go back up. Here are the industries with 10 billion dollars and over in total GMV, agriculture and fashion. Industries with a billion dollars in collective GMV, um, auto parts, cannabis, contract manufacturing. It's an interesting space. Food products, general retail, healthcare, and liquor. The aggregate amount of all these mar- top 50 uh, marketplaces, we think, is somewhere in the ballpark of $75 to $100 billion in aggregate GMV and throughput. Compare that to Amazon Business, $25 billion. So what I'm saying, right, the balance between large tech monopolies and traditional incumbents and these marketplaces sit in the middle. There are these three parties, the tech monopolies like Amazon Business. We don't want them to get to the same level of dominance that they have in consumer. As they're trying to get in B2B. You want more platform competition. And these marketplaces are doing a good job. These, many of them, vertical-specific marketplaces are doing a very good job of building sizable businesses without, you know, independently. So all these companies are independent. They haven't been acquired. They're not owned by strategics. They're all independent businesses. opportunity for the incumbents is to figure out how to more closely align and more closely work with, whether partnering, investing, or acquiring these B2B marketplaces, right? Amazon's coming. The marketplace model is inevitable. It's a question of how much power exists in the marketplace startups or Amazon or eBay or Alibaba for that matter. And these incumbents have a lot of scale. What these marketplaces need more than capital is scale, right? When I'm reading to you, Mike Shu, CEO of Grub Market, his press release, all about scale. He's saying, I, I, I had to turn away money, I got more money, we're profitable. I got more money than I could even want. I'm turning down money. What he wants is $100 billion in GMV. It's scale. That is the magic. That's what Amazon wants. That's what these marketplace startups want. That's what, guess what? These incumbent distributors have. The big emphasis that we have, the big kind of overhang that we provide in this report is that what Applico wants is to have a more equitable future. What Applico wants is to help level the playing field against the tech monopolies. How do we do that? We help these marketplace startups fight the tech monopoly. What do the marketplace startups need? Scale. Who has scale? Incumbent multi-billion dollar distributors. There are hundreds of multi-billion dollar B2B distributors. They need to study this report. They need to memorize this report. They need to get on the phone with every one of these marketplace startups in their vertical or adjacent vertical and figure out how to do stuff with them. Whether you're a small distributor, just sell on the marketplace. Okay, maybe you're not big. You can't do a partnership. You can't do anything strategic. But what you don't want to do as a small distributor, you don't want to go and sell on Amazon business. And that's it. If you're going to sell on Amazon business, you should absolutely try and go sell on Amazon Business and at least one or a couple of these other marketplaces in your vertical in this list. At the very least. Better yet, don't sell on Amazon and just go sell on the startup. Because why that is a good thing for literally everyone in the industry is when you have more marketplace competition, it's better for the producers and the customers. When you have one large dominant tech monopoly, We've seen how that plays out. They take advantage, they squeeze the producers and you have a power vacuum. The more marketplace competition there is, the better for everyone in the industry. So what everyone can do, if you're a distributor, if you're a manufacturer, if you're a customer, you're a business customer, is try to support these B2B marketplaces as best you can with your dollars, with your inventory, with your partnership if you're a larger player, they need your help. These VCs, these are the top VCs investing in these B2B marketplaces. FJ Labs does does a lot of B2B marketplace investing. I'm kind of surprised that um we didn't see more of like uh, like Bessemer, I know, has been doing a lot of stuff on here. You know, batteries on here, Andreessen's on here. Y Combinator has a number of them. So you can see here, this is total capital raised by vertical. The interesting thing here is, right, you can see agriculture is really the only vertical that's starting to see a winner-take-all dynamic. Not in every industry, but some of these other industries have one really dominant marketplace player. But then there's a number of competition elsewhere, right? These gray dots, the number of startups in that vertical. So look at the total capital raised in food, industrial, and retail, right? There are some players that are pretty big and, and, and somewhat mature. Um, but then there's a a number of other startups behind them there's even more startups that didn't make the top 50 report right this isn't every every b2b marketplace in this report This is just our ranking of the top 50. really outside of agriculture every other industry is in play here agriculture indigo and fbn have raised literally uh billions uh billions of dollars um whether if you're looking at some mixture of equity and debt they've raised a lot of money so That one has more of a winner-take-all dynamic between those top two players. The rest of these are pretty much all in play. And you know uh, um, that, you know, who knows that better than I do is Amazon. So get this report. Figure out if you are a business customer, how you can start to use these marketplaces. Um, If you are a supplier, how you can start to supply these marketplaces. If you are a large incumbent distributor or manufacturer figure out how to partner with these marketplaces. The more these marketplaces are successful, the more you will be able to prevent the inequities that has come about by letting Amazon have a 20-year head start in consumer retail. Let's not let that happen again. Short of government acting, which we can't hold our breath on, we've got to take matters into our own hands and this is a great way to do exactly that. Thank you very much. That's it for us today on Winner Take All. I will talk to you soon and we will continue to dive into this report. Maybe I'll bring Nick on and we'll go a little bit deeper into it.